Let me give you a little insight into like a pastor's job description. Um, a lot of times you'll have people that walk up to you and pose you questions that are just pretty deep and you have to give a response on the spot. And that's exactly what happens um, to a guy by the name of Billy Graham. So Billy Graham was this big evangelist. He would go and he'd preach the good news of Jesus to really large crowds. He had a lot of influence. He spoke into the life of many different presidents. And there's an, an opportunity, there was an example of this that happened in his life where someone approached him with a pretty profound question. And so the question was this. Our neighbor claims to be a Christian, but he's one of the grouchiest people I've ever met and he's just unpleasant to be around. Let me, get, let me explain this, and I'll get to the question here in a second, all right? So we've all experienced some form of a situation like this, haven't we? We've all experienced people in our life that claim to be a Christian, but whenever it comes to our experience of them in relationships, their life doesn't really match up to that of Jesus. So last week we looked at things like the fruit of the Spirit, that Jesus was a person who loved that he was one who had joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. These are the things of Jesus, but we all have people in our life that we've experienced that claim to be a Christian, but when we look at their life and our relationship with them, we don't see fruit of the Spirit there. And it leads to a lot of questions. And one of the questions for this person was this. Which is more important in God's eyes? Thinking about this person and how they've experienced them, what we believe, or how we behave. And here's how Billy G responds, is what I call him, Billy G. <laughs> he says both are important in God's eyes. Now, you may hear that, and there may be a check in your gut that pops up. You may be like, well, is Billy G saying that God accepts us because we believe in Jesus and we've also cleaned ourselves up? If we believe in Jesus, but he also cares about our behavior, is he saying like both of these are held together? That's not what Billy G is saying. He's one of the best at sharing how God's grace is available to all people. It's just putting your worst foot forward and accepting what Christ has done on your behalf. And so here's how he ends the, the, the question, his response to the question. He says, the reason is because what we believe will influence how we live. And this is true for no matter who we are. He's saying that what you believe will bleed into every facet of your life, including your relationships, as is being spoken about with this person that's posing the question. And as we look at our passage tonight, Paul is going to tease out this very same idea in the text that we're looking at. He begins our passage. We begin in, at the end of chapter 5. We're doing this because it's a, a continued thought. Paul's continuing to tease out a lot of what he's already uh, worked and unpacked for us. So he's drawing out conclusions. He begins by saying, let us not become... Let us not become, in light of everything that I have laid out for you, let us not become, since we are admitted into God's family through faith, not Jewish laws or customs, it's not by circumcision, it's not by keeping all 600 commands that we see in the Old Testament, since we're freed from the obligations of the law and we're free to obey God, we're no longer bound to those commands and we're no longer enslaved 
to sin, since we're enabled to live our freedom through the Spirit, because we're the people that walk by the Spirit, and we keep in step with the Spirit, so it's not a dependency upon ourselves, but it's a dependency on the power of God that lives inside of us, then let us become. Essentially, Paul's saying what you believe is going to bleed over into every facet of your life, and that includes our relationships. And so here's how how Paul does this. Here's, Here's how he unpacks it for us in our passage tonight. Paul gives us two things. He gives us the poison of relationships, and he gives us the antidote to our relationships. So we're going to look at both of these, and as we look at these, he gives us real life examples of what it looks like to apply the antidote to our relationships in our life. And so this is going to be our roadmap for tonight. This is where we're headed. It's how we're going to look through the passage. And here's my prayer. As we work through this, as we walk through the passage, my prayer for us is that we have a clear picture of how we apply the gospel to the relationships in our life. That the good news of Jesus would do what Paul says and what Billy Graham has said and that it would... It would bleed into every aspect of our life. I want us to have a clarity on what that looks like. So for us to do that, we have to start where Paul starts, and he starts with the poison of relationships. We see this in verse 26. Let me reread it for us so you can have it fresh on your mind. Paul says, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, and envying one another. So right out of the gate, Paul gives us what is the poison of our relationships, and it's conceit, all right? So this word conceit really means empty or false glory, all right? We're all seeking glory. We are people that are created for glory, and we've tried to replace living for the glory of God in our life, that our whole entire life is bent towards bringing God honor and glory in this life, and we look to replace it by pursuing glory in other things. And so Paul is saying that this person that is conceited, they seek praise according to a false premise, all right? So Paul's writing from a negative here. He's saying, let us not fall back into our old patterns that he's teased out in the passages that we've looked at prior to tonight. The old way for the Galatians and for us is the belief that salvation is a result of our work and not Christ's work. That it's what we do, not what Jesus does. Yeah, there's faith in Jesus. He gets us up close to the line of salvation, but it's our work to get ourselves over the finish line. And Paul says this this is not only poisonous for our relationship with God, but it's also poisonous to our relationship with one another. So think about it like food poisoning, all right? What happens with food poisoning is you take in bad food, your body absorbs it, that food that is poisoned, causes a disruption to your body, and then what happens is bad stuff comes out, right? That, right? Yes, thank you. You've, like, if, if you've been there, you know that it's awful, right? Like, both ends, not good. Bad stuff comes out. And Paul is saying the same thing happens to us when we fall back into our old ways. You take something in that is bad, This idea, this belief that salvation is about our works, not what 
Christ has done, and then we absorb it. It goes to our head and our heart, and here's what it begins to say. I've really accomplished something. I've really done something. In other words, it leads to conceit. You deserve praise for what you've accomplished. I've earned right standing before God. Look what I've done. And the result ends up being bad stuff comes out. And we see it in our relationships. And Paul says it's two things. That we provoke one another and we envy one another. We provoke one another and we envy one another. Here's what this looks like, all right? So provoke means that we challenge or we contest people, all right? So for the person that is living according, that's become conceited, that salvation is about what you have accomplished, what you have done. And so relationships become a comparison game. You are constantly weighing yourself according to other people. You look and you say, I've accomplished something, and can you live up to me? Can you live up to my standard? Can you keep up with me? Uh, if you look at my life and what I've done and how pleasing my life is to God, if I look at your life, I, I don't know if you quite measure up, man. And so here's what a couple of pastors say, um, John Stott, Tim Keller, they kind of both say this in both of the books that I read. They say that your role in relationships, whenever you provoke one another, when you provoke people, whenever you're living from this place of accomplishment, look what I've done, your role in relationships becomes selfish. Relationships and people exist to validate you, your superiority. Look at the standard that I have arrived at. And they also exist to praise you. So as you compare and as you compete and you show them how they don't measure up, the response should be, you should praise me. You should be in awe of how good I am, how impressive I am, where I've gotten in my life. And the result is like this poisonous experience in relationships. When relationships are always about competition, the end result of the relationship feels like a competition. You're exhausted. You're tired. Like what happens after you compete? Like if you played in any kind of sports or maybe you're just in gym and you're like, I hated sports and I hate gym. Here's what happened, right? Your body got tired and you became breathless. Like you're out of breath. It was a terrible experience. This was my whole entire experience in, real, in uh, sports. I ran. I was a runner. It's awful. Your whole body hurts. You end. My face was beat red. I had no breath inside of me. My whole, I was exhausted. That's how people experience you when you provoke one another. You're exhausting. People's experience of relationship with you is that of a competition. They're worn out. Paul says, man, this is what we were created for. When we follow Jesus, this isn't what he saved us to. But it's not just provoking one another. He also says something else. He says that we're not to be conceited by the way that we envy one another. So envy here is all about, it means you want what you don't have, what other people deserve, and or you don't want other people to have that thing. So 
relationships, like salvation is still about, um, it, for the person that's envious, salvation is about what you haven't accomplished, what you haven't done, how you haven't measured up. And so relationships are still a comparison game, but they're more about a measuring stick of what you've fallen short of, not what you've achieved. And so the question for you is, how could I ever live up to that? And here's the, your role in relationships, is that relationships are not always self-serving. You're like an anchor. You always weigh people down. You're a Debbie Downer. In conversations, you're regularly bringing up about how you've fallen short. I mean, all the time. We all, we all know people like this. Like you get into a conversation and it's just always about like the bad things that have happened in their week. Like they, you just, they feel like an anchor that's just kind of like tied around your neck and they're just like bringing you down. You're, there, you're just like, man, that's heavy. it's always heavy talking to you. Or they're kind of like a vacuum, right? What does a vacuum do? It's always sucking up and it's never contributing. It's never giving anything up, right? For those people that are envying, they're like a vacuum. They're just always, they kind of suck. <laughs> they just always are sucking. They're always taking, they're, but they're never contributing to relationships. And so what's the result? Like people always feel weighed down by you, man. Like it's always, always such a weighty conversation whenever you enter into the relationship, the conversation with the person that is always envying. They want what you have because they feel like they lack it or they just don't want you to have it and they're doing everything they can to kind of like bring you down in every conversation that's happening. Here's what Paul is saying. Here's why they both equal conceit. Because they're both self-absorbed. Everything is always about them. For the person that is provoking is always, look how great I am. They're always at the center. But it's the same thing for the person that envies. They're always weighing you down because they're always trying to bring attention back to themselves. And here's what they're needing from you. They're always needing you to contribute. You're the ones that always is kind of like putting them on their back and then you're moving them forward. But they never do that for you. Life is still all about them. It's just in the negative sense. And here's how we experience this a little bit more, right? So if you're like, I still don't know how this feels in relationships, maybe this will help you, right? So for those of us, I, all of us have lived into this. For those that provoke, you blow up in relationships. Because whenever you don't get the praise that you deserve, or you don't get the acclaim or the awe that you feel like you've earned, you blow up on people. For those that envy, you clam up. I, I, don't, I can't say anything. I, what do I have to offer? Who am I? I, I can't contribute to this conversation. Like, I, I don't have anything to offer anybody. If you're provoking one another, you pick fights because everything is a competition. It's always a challenge. For those that envy, you avoid conflict. I, I already feel bad enough about myself. I, I can't enter into that conflict. I can't enter into that situation because I, I'll just feel worse about myself. And so you avoid conflict at all costs. If you're provoking one another, you're abrasive. Like no one can come and like actually bring any correction. You're just like, Ugh. 
You're abrasive all the time. For those that envy, you're always intimidated. Like when you, you're always like, your voice is always just kind of, you repeat your words. You're just, oh, I'm always intimidated. I'm always so anxious inside. If you're abrasive or if you're uh, provoking one another, you're always defensive. You're always, if somebody does bring you a challenge, if somebody finally gets to the courage place, you're always defensive if they just knew. They just knew. Or you're always discouraged if you're envious. Man, just another reminder that I, I'm just a nobody. That's just who I am. Or here's two phrases that maybe you hear yourself saying. Those that provoke, say they look down on other people, you're in the place of superiority. I would never do that. What that person did, I would never do that. I've, I've achieved too much. My status, my place, like I'm far too superior to do something that. The person that envies says, I could never be. I could never be that. What that person did, I, I could never do that. This is what it looks like. This is how it teases itself out. Now, here's, you should have both hands up to this, all right? This is not about an either or. It's about a both and. We've all done both of these. We've all lived in this. We've all had the voices of both sides of that conversation that have taken place inside of our souls. And here's what Paul says is like, that's not who you're supposed to be. That's not what followers of Jesus do. 526, let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. This is what's poisonous to our relationships. That's not what God's created us for. That's not the new creation that we are. So the question is, well, then what's the antidote? How do we, how do we have different relationships? How do, how do people experience me differently than this? If I don't fall into my old patterns, then what's the new pattern? Like, what's the fix to this? Paul, we find it at the beginning of 6, chapter 6. Paul says this, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, and he continues on. Now, I, 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 might, I worked my way into some of the instruction here, but it can, it can be really quick to overlook something that I think is just so important here at the beginning of verse one, because the antidote to our relationships Surprise, surprise, is the gospel. The antidote to our relationships is the gospel. Paul ends Galatians 5 telling us what not to do. He begins Galatians 6 telling us what to do. But before he gets to the instruction, Paul reminds us of our identity in Christ. Who are you? You're a child of God. How does he refer to the Galatians? Brother or sister? Family of God. Identity in Christ. If you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about how the, the adoption that we have in Christ Jesus is the apex of the gospel. It's the climax. It's not just about what, God, what Jesus has wiped away for us. It's what he's attributed to our account. And what he's done is he's shared his status with us as the child of God. So God isn't just judge. He's now father. He's the one that we have personal 
intimate relationship with Jesus. And so Paul is saying to the Galatians and to us, remember how this happened. Before I move into the instruction, pay attention to the thing that I've called you, brother or sister, child of God, family of God. How did this happen? Remember, like think back. This happened because faith alone in Christ. It's not what you have done, it's everything that Jesus has done for you. You entered into the family because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. And this is the antidote to our relationships. Nothing that you did, everything Christ has done. And look, when we believe this, just as we believe in salvation by works, or Jesus and, as we've talked about, the same thing happens when we believe the good news of the gospel. When we believe in this good news, it begins to trickle. It begins to permeate all of our life, including our relationships. So here's how the gospel is the antidote to our relationships. Look, it humbles us and it emboldens us. The gospel humbles us and it emboldens us. The cross of Christ humbles us because at the foot of the cross, it's level ground. Meaning, there's no waiting on how you performed in this life. We are all desperate, needy beggars and sinners that when we come stand at the foot of the cross, there's nobody that's on a higher ground. We're all on the same ground. We're all in the same place. We all need the grace of Jesus in our life. There's nothing that we contribute except our sin to our salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. Jesus has done everything, which look, that humbles every single one of us. That means there is no pointing to look at the standard that I've set because you have no standard. Your only standard is Jesus and he's done everything for you. You have nothing to ride home about. You have no platform to stand on. Every single person is humbled before the cross of Christ, but yet at the same time you're emboldened because you have the status. You are the child of God. Look, children, they are bold. My, the only people, the only kids that can come into my room and wake me up at 4 a.m. in the morning and ask me for a drink of water to climb in bed with them because they're scared are my own kids. Now, take this to the utmost degree. If you are the child of God, you have complete access to the creator of the universe. The king of the universe you have access to. You can wake up at 4 a.m. You can knock at your king's door. And you can call on him you can cry out to him. You can go to him at any point in time. And look, he's always there for you. You have complete and absolute access to the God and the king of the universe. This emboldens you. So you don't live from the place of superiority or inferiority. Everybody is humbled, so you can't be superior 
But look, you can't also live in the doldrums of being inferior because you've been emboldened. You have the status. The gospel changes everything, including your relationships and how people experience you. Do you see how freeing this is? Here's how this transforms your relationships. It frees us from all of our relationships and the people that are in our life from this place of selfish relationships and it frees us to loving, sacrificial relationships. People no longer exist to serve you. We now live to serve others out of the love that has been shown to us because Jesus has loved you to that extent. The gospel is bringing forth and it's empowering us to do exactly what Jesus has done for us. And it changes our relationships. Jesus, he laid down everything for you and me. He showed us the extent of God's love that he literally laid down his life for you. He knew exactly what was going on in your life. He didn't look at some of us and be like, you know what, Bonnie, she's got it together. She's riding it. She's good. I'm gonna die for her. No, he looks at all of us and he says, I see that no one, absolutely no one is deserving. I'm still gonna die in your place. I'm gonna go there. What you cannot do for yourself, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna do that. He sacrifices his life for you and me because he loves us. Look, that is how we get to live now. Life is no longer about you, but you actually get to live in service to other people. It's freeing. Absolutely freeing. And the way that we do this is we keep in step with the Spirit. Like we talked about, keeping in step with the Spirit is you're following in the footsteps of Jesus. I'm just following in the path. I'm just walking the path that Jesus did. He walked according to the steps of the Holy Spirit. He was empowered to live through the work of God in his life because the Spirit came on him and that's how he moved forward in this life. We're saying, sign me up. That's how I do this too. And so Paul teases this out for us in a few ways throughout the rest of this passage. He applies the gospel or the antidote to our relationships. And so here's three things. He gives us three ways. The first one is this, is that we help one another. We help one another. Verse one says this, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted So let's just kind of work through this so we can tease this out, how we help one another, right? So first, Paul says, someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing. Here's the assumption. The church is filled up with broken and messy people. Like, can you raise your hand with me? Yes, broken, messy people. Look, this means that we're also bringing other broken, messy people in here. This isn't a hospice where people go to die. This is a hospital where people are served and helped and brought to newness of life. We are the place where this, the church is not the place people come once they're holy, once they've cleaned up their life. Rather, the church is the people who point others to the one who makes them holy. Like, I, I didn't come in here. I didn't come in here because I have my life together. I didn't come in here because I earned my way to God. I came in here because I knew the God who could. I knew the God who could change me. And I'm desperately dragging those other broken and messy people in life into this place because this is a hospital where they hear about the good news of the one that makes them live. 
assumes that the church is full of broken and messy people. And he says this, you who are spiritual. You know who he's talking about? All those people that walk by the Spirit and are keeping in step with the Spirit. Which, guess what? Means every Christian. Every person. Those who are spiritual. Anyone living their freedom in Christ are those that Paul is calling on here. Restore such a person with a gentle spirit. And you know what the word restore means? It means setting a broken bone back into its place. I saw my brother do this whenever he was really little, broke his arm, went to the doctor, super painful. You know what would have made it worse? A doctor that wasn't gentle. A doctor that was like, just didn't care about the tears, didn't care about the pain that was going on with my little brother and just like, I'm just gonna do this thing, I'm just gonna get this mug back in and like, I don't care what happens and like, that's awful. <laughs> no, the doctor was gentle. And that's how we respond to those that are caught up in sin. The people that are broken and messy. We're not harsh, we're not condemning we're gentle. We restore them. It's painful. It's painful. But we do it with the most, utmost gentleness that we possibly can because we can see ourselves being in the place that they're in. And then watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted, realizing I'm not above this. The sin that has caught them up, I could be in that same place. So here's what Paul is saying. There's no one too low to help another caught in sin. There's no one too inferior to help. There's no one that is too low to step into the life of someone else to restore them. Do the gospel restoring work with gentleness and bringing them back into what we truly believe, which is the gospel is what brings us into the family and it's what is the guiding course for our entire life. We, we come, we preach the good news. We remind them of the good news. Hey, look, this isn't what you were created for. You weren't created to walk in the sin. You, weren't used, you don't have this freedom to abuse it on the passions of your flesh, the things that are going on, the old lifestyle that you used to live. We don't use our freedom towards that. We now use it to walk in obedience to God. So look, come back. Like, hey, come back. This is just repentance, right? This is, hey, confess that this is wrong. Look, we've all done, we've all jacked up. We've all messed up. Like, you know, confess it, repent it. Come back into the fold, man. Come back in. You're doing it gently. And there's no one that is too low to help. Like, I know that we have a pretty young church. Um, and so it can be a tendency whenever you're young to think, I don't know how much I have to offer. For those that are older in the room, here's what we do. We bring the younger under our arms and we actually humble ourselves and help them see that they have a voice that's needed in the life of the church. I have a, a guy, um, his name was Mark Wardlaw. Um, he was a perfect example of this. Well, maybe not perfect, he was a great example. Here's what Mark would do. He was, usually, he was usually like the dad to everybody else. Like all of his kids were about the same age of those that were in like the groups that he was a part of. You know what he did? He valued their relationship. He humbled himself 
And he would constantly bring in, hey, here's how my daughter-in-law is experiencing me. Here's like how the relationship was, is going. Will you speak into me? I don't, I don't want her to experience me the way in which she's said that she's experienced me. And I, I need your input. I, I need to hear your voice. Like what you have, like you can really help me here. Humbles himself and values the voice of those that are younger than him so that he can walk in the type of relationships that God has restored us, renewed us, recreated us to walk and live in. But look, he had to invite the younger in. Every person in this room, like you have a place, you're called to help. It doesn't matter if you're the youngest in the room or the oldest in the room, every voice matters. So we need to live into it. And older, older folks in the room, like bring them in, humble yourself. Value, value their voice. Another way Paul applies the gospel to our relationships is we carry one another's burdens. We see this in verses two through three. He says, carry one another's burdens, and in this, same, in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So here's what burden means. Burden means a heavy weight, all right? And the reason that we carry one another's heavy weights is because we see this at the end of verse 2. In this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. What Paul is saying is, look, I'm applying the gospel to your relationships. Jesus bore your burden. The burden that you could not carry. If you tried to carry it, it would lead to eternal death for you. But I put it on my shoulders I climbed the cross. I hung there until the payment was finished. I bore your burden. And in response, I've given you my spirit. And now what it looks like for you to apply the gospel to your relationships is the same way that I carried your burden. You now carry the burden of other people. And he moves on. He says, for if anyone considers himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And so, if helping one another, no one is too low to help or too inferior to help, here it means that no one is above carrying the burdens of another person or that you're too superior to help someone with their, their lowly burdens that they're carrying in this life. There's no one that you can look at the poor and needy of our society and say somebody else is going to help them. There's no one that can look at a burden that seems like a mountain to one person but is really like a hill to you and be like, oh, somebody else can deal with that. No, what it looks like to be a part of the family of God is that you step in and you apply the gospel here. There's nothing that is below you in the way that you carry others' burdens and their relationships that God has given you in this life. There's no ranking. It's like whenever it meets an eight, then I'll step in. That's not what the command of God is on your life. For the people that he's placed in your life, you step in and you carry the burdens. Here's what this looks like. It means that you come down to another person's point of view or their life and you walk in their shoes. You put your feet in their shoes. You know what happens in my house? My kids, they love to wear my shoes. They love to come and put their feet inside daddy's shoes and then walk around the house. And you know what happens? Their feet can't feel it, right? 
Like their feet, it, the shoe wiggles around and they're like, Daddy, how do you walk in these things? Like, how, how do you do this? They, they try to run, they fall flat on their face. You know what I'm saying? That's what happens in our house. Here's what happens when you put yourself in other people's shoes. What seems like usually too small of a size for your foot, when you actually come down and you try to slip your foot in there, you actually figure out there's more wiggle room in there than what you really believed, what you actually knew to be true. When you walk in someone else's shoes and you learn their story, their family of origin, what they've dealt with in this life, um, maybe they're a person of different ethnic origin than you, and their experience in this country has been far different than yours, or maybe they're a person of a different gender, and man, it's just been a whole different experience. Like, they're constantly living with a certain fear whenever they go to certain places that maybe you as a male don't have to deal with. Whenever you come down to another person's level and you try to put your foot in another person's shoe, usually what you found to be too loose or maybe too small for you, or too small for you, too, not too loose, but too tight, you actually try to put your foot in there and it's a lot bigger than what you expected. It's a humbling experience. We carry one another's burdens because life is hard and you weren't made to go through it alone. And God's gift to you is the family of God, a people that bear one another's burdens. Again, because we love one another. Done in there, Paul says it also stops the comparison game. We see this in verses four and five. Let each person examine his own work and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else for each person will have to carry his own load. This is kind of confusing. <laughs> We've, we've talked a lot about like Jesus is, is all his work and not our work. Is Paul speaking out of both sides of his mouth here? That, that's not what's happening here. Paul's talking about this idea of a load. And this load is that of like a load of a backpack. So burden is this heavy bearing down weight. What Paul's talking about here is a load that's kind of like a backpack. What he's doing is he's shifting our focus from comparison to now a lifestyle of faithfulness. Let me point this out to you. Verse four, we see this idea of comparison that we're shifting our focus from this. He says, not compare himself with someone else. When you're looking at your load, you're looking at your life and what you're bearing along, you're not just like taking your mind off of what you got to carry. You're looking and comparing yourself with other people and what they're carrying. You're doing that comparison game. What Paul's doing is saying, I'm shifting this focus now to what we see in verse five, which is faithfulness. For each person will have to carry his own load. What Paul is saying is this person shifts from looking at the load that someone else is carrying and comparing and saying, like, that's not near what I got. He's saying, no, instead of comparing, you're now just focused on being faithful with what God has given you to do in this life. His call in your life is what is the main focus. So we, we talked about this idea that whenever we wanna live in light of the gospel, we, it's like driving, the driving lesson that I got from my friend. The semi-truck driver told me the way that you drive is that you look 
miles down the road at a destination and that's what you're pointing your car to. That's what you have your hands on the wheel and you're driving towards. He says whenever you begin to shift and you begin to veer is whenever you take your eye off of the end goal and then you begin to look and gaze at the other things that are going on and passing you by in your life. Paul's saying you're not doing the comparison game by taking your fixation off of the gospel. You're not taking your eyes off of Jesus. You're not taking your eyes off of the destination that God has placed you for. You, take, you, you don't do the comparison game of taking your gaze off of that and glancing or making that your glance and gazing now at other people's loads and comparing yourself. Instead, you're just you're shooting for faithfulness, man. Like you're, you're living towards the hope that you have in Jesus. And I'm just, I'm doing what God has called me to do in this life. I'm carrying the backpack that he's given me instead of comparing myself to other people. Here's how John Stott puts it. There's one burden that we cannot share. That is our responsibility to God on the day of judgment. On that day, you cannot carry my pack and I cannot carry yours. So in essence, Paul's saying rather than focusing on the failure of another person by the comparison game, you're paying attention to walking in faithfulness by walking by the Spirit, by keeping in step with the Spirit and living according to what God has placed on your path for you to walk in newness of life with Him. This is not the first time that Paul's kind of given this idea. We see this in the book of Philippians. Philippians 1.27, Paul says, live your life worthy of the gospel as a citizen of heaven, not as a citizen of this world. The comparison game, that's, that's this worldly game. What we do is we live in our new reality as citizens of heaven, a, a kingdom that is not here. We're looking towards what is to come. We're, we're living our new reality in Jesus here and now. And that means that we don't compare, but we actually lay down our comparison and we walk in faithfulness. So just step back with this, all right? What kind of result happens when we do this? When we identify the poison of our relationships, which is conceit and fleshes itself out, provoking one another, envying one another, and we begin to live in light of the gospel and we apply the gospel to our relationships. Like, how does that change it? Like, how, man, it makes, it, it makes community look beautiful. It makes relationships with other people so, such a thing that you want to step into. It's desirable. It's like looking at something that's delicious on the, on the shelf whenever you walk into Russell's on Macklin, man. You're like, I see that cookie. It looks delicious, right? That's what relationships begin to look like for us. Because the gospel, it transforms everything. They don't have to be these comp- the competing games anymore, and they don't have to be the anchors that are like weighing us down, but man, we get to like actually help one another, carry one another's burdens. We get to lay down the games of this world and the comparison game, and we get to walk in faithfulness. It changes the game. Can you imagine a community like this? Paul can. <laughs> he said, look, it's God's church. It's the family of God. When we begin to apply the gospel to our relationships, 
And people, like, when we get to experience it, we get to experience and taste it. Here's what the Bible tells us. It's actually a witness to the watching world. They gaze into our community. They gaze into our relationships. And they begin to ask questions like, who lives like this? Who walks like that? Who looks at relationships that way? What do you, what do you mean? Like, it's not a competition anymore. Like, life is just a life, like, it's a game of living up to the Joneses, man. Like, we're all just trying to, like, take the step forward and progress and overcome. And what do you mean? That it, what do you mean you don't trying to reach a place of superiority? Or what do you mean you're not just like always beaten down? I don't know what that looks like. You know the family I came from. My, my parents like beat me down. All, like they're always using their words against me. I was always being torn down. Friendships. You, you can't step into friendship. Like, a true friendship is people that you can put down and still put up with. No. That's not our experience in relationships. Look, the vision here is community goes from a place that you're constantly being torn down to now a place that you're constantly being built up. And the world looks into that, says, who does that? And we say, those of us that love Jesus, we've experienced his love towards us. And it makes us want to live that way towards other people. What other, like, what God does that? Comes and buries my load. Lives, walks in my shoes. Takes up all of my burden, all of my shame. Stays on the cross, pays for all of it. What love, man. How can I not live that way towards other people? Look, we began Billy Graham counseling this person What's more important, belief or behavior? Well, what we believe influences how we live. Paul agrees. The gospel changes everything. It changes our relationships. We help one another. No one above serving. We carry one another's burdens. There's no one below, below serving. We stop the comparison game. We just we desire to live faithful and walk along other people. The gospel frees us to live this way because Jesus has lived this way towards us. And we don't have to just imagine it. We get to live in that church. Beautiful, isn't it? Let's pray that God would help us live into this as we walk by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray.